Good evening. Um, so some of you I know, some of you I don't. So my name is Karan Blair. <clears throat> um, I don't remember how many years ago now, but a couple of years ago when Neil, when they were in the beginning stages of Root and Branch, Neil and I had dinner at a place that is no more called Tease. It is now Cantina's. Um, this weird Mexican place at the end of my block. But we, we met and he told me about this church root and branch and he was like, you know, I want you to like be a part of this thing. And I was like, okay, you know. And I said to him, for the record, I am not a Christian. <laughs> right? uh, when Neil met me, Neil was my intern. I was the national director for an interfaith internship program in organizing and so Neil was my intern I trained him and so you know I was like to be clear I, I come at this from a very different perspective and so I've been a part of the root and branch thing community perhaps sort of since the beginning even if not attending sort of a part of the th the thinking around how to do this so um, I say that to say thanks to both Tim and Lee Tim <laughs> and Neil for the, the work they have done. Um, to also contextualize, when Neil sent me an email and asked me to, to speak, um, he led, of course, with the fact that his, you know, his newborn child um, is dealing with sort of birth challenges. And so I want to hold him and his family in my thoughts um, to the extent that thoughts have any power. <laughs> I want, to, I want to lift that up um, as part of the context that brings me to this moment. Uh, all right, so I have a few readings. Um, the first one, between me and the other world, there is ever an unasked question, unasked by some through feelings of delicacy, by others through the difficulty of, of rightly framing it. All nevertheless flutter around it. They approach me in a half-hesitant sort of way. I, me, curiously or compassionately. And then, instead of saying directly, how does it feel to be a problem? They say, I know an excellent colored man in, a, in my town, or I fought at Mechanicsville, or do these southern outrages make your blood boil? At these I smile, or I'm interested or reduce the boil into a simmer as the occasion may require. To the real question, how does it feel to be a problem? I answer seldom a word. W.E.B. Du Bois from the soul of black folks. To be Negro and conscious in America is to be in a constant state of rage. James Baldwin. If God is not for us and against white people, red, white supremacy, then he is a murderer and we had better kill him. James Cone, a black theology of liberation. The question that Du Bois asks in the souls of black folks is still a relevant question for black folk living in America in 2015. For blackness remains in many ways a problematic identity. 
well-meaning folk don't know what to do with black people. Our government don't quite know what to do with black folk. That black bodies are rendered invisible, at the very least. And in the most offensive way, black bodies are rendered as tools of a capitalist machinery. And so that question remains a question that people are still wrestling with. What does it mean to be black in America? And, and more poignantly, what does it mean to be a problem? How, how does one live with that? The rage that Baldwin talks about, to be black and relatively conscious, and even got to be a whole lot of conscious, is to live in a constant state of rage. Yesterday I was in um, Logan Square, Revolution Brewery. Is that Logan Square? And I walk in, and um, if you've been there, you know what it's like. <laughs> Soft white, <laughs> save me. And I walk in, and, and the, the, the host, who is a pleasant woman from all accounts, she says to me, how may I help you? And, I, and I'm, I'm going to narrate the conversation I had in my head. I, I'm just going, so I, I apologize, this is in my head. I said, what the fuck do you think I could want? I'm in a goddamn restaurant. Like, I, I'm going to give you two guesses of, of what I could want, of how you might help me today. <laughs> the question should be, do you need a seat? Are you here to meet somebody? Have you been here? I mean, there are a whole lot of questions that is not how can I was like, and, and, and it is that Baldwin moment, right? Because she was being all kinds of pleasant. And it is perhaps a question that she asked everybody. But for me, I'm just like this constant state of rage that I've got to walk in the world and mitigate because I'm always like, what is going on here? Right? Because black bodies are perceived as dangerous, as problematic, as invisible, and always up to something. Right? Constant state of rage. It isn't always a rational rage. It's like, I'm not justifying that. I didn't go off on her. I, I smiled and I said, I'm here to meet my friend. <laughs> you know? But I was a curious entity in that mix. Right? She was like, what you doing here? Right. Rage. And, 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 and so I tell people, it's, it's not... It's not always rational, right? It's, but it is rooted in an, in, in an experience in America where when you watch police officers dismantle and dismember the bodies of unarmed black folk. You know, I go to the gym, I go early in the morning, I live in Andersonville, it is predominantly white. And, you know, I say to folk, you know, in the fall, it gets interesting because I put a hoodie on and I, you know, I see the cops and I, I don't run, I walk. 
You know, I tell people, I've been with friends who like walk across the street because there's a stop sign. I'm like, no, I'm waiting for motherfuckers to stop because this body is rendered invaluable, right? So that I, I have no confidence that I'm not going to be run over by somebody who thinks that I'm in their way. Right? Like that, 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 that's the reality. Right? So to, to be black in America, right? state of rage and a state of fear. Not always rational. Not always based on individual experiences, but based on a collective experience. Based on what we watch on television, the news, right? And the ways in which black bodies are policed and therefore black people begin to police their own bodies, right? How do I behave in a way that is non-threatening to folk <laughs> that they're not gonna shoot me? What am I going to wear today that signals I am not a threat? How am I going to talk that says I am an expert and I do know what it is I am talking about? How, how am I going to do that? And, and that is the kind of negotiation that folks, right? And then James Cone enters the scene. And Cohn says that if black folk are dealing with this stuff and God has nothing to say about it, and he says we must kill God. I first heard that when I was in seminary, and it shook my world. Literally. I mean, I read that. And it, it unraveled me. I was like, I don't know what this guy's talking about. This is heresy. <laughs> you know, like, why, why is it? You know, what, what do you mean? All right. And the question for us as for you, as folks of faith, is, is what kind of God are we worshiping and serving? And, and, and in a moment where black folk and I'm centering this on black people. There is an urge to sort of go and say black and, but, but there is a particular reality of blackness in America that deserves sustained and serious consideration, right? And so that we have to ask ourselves, what, what is God calling us to do? What is God saying about the state of black people in this country? And how as people of faith, do you respond in a way that is powerful and relevant? And if the God that you gather to worship or focus on has nothing to say about this, then that God is irrelevant. And should, in fact, be killed because that God is a murderer. The God of my early years, I grew up like Tim, Pentecostal. In fact, I was just trying to heal his ear. There was a time when I could do that. Um, that God in many ways was complicit with all kinds of violence. And so over the years, I've shed that idea of God. 
And so Cone offers us this vision of God that says, no, the God that you gather to worship is a God that must have something to say about suffering and about race in this country. God must. And so that's sort of our question. What is, what do we say? Or perhaps what is God saying? The, 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 the stories or the, the, the portions of readings that I offered come to us from the early 1900s, anywhere from 20s to 60s, right? Black folks writing about. And today, the sort of manifestation of that are mostly young black folks in black cities across the country screaming this phrase that by now we've all heard, Black Lives Matter. That is the current manifestation of that. And there are a lot of misunderstandings and misgivings about that phrase, right? People say, well, all lives matter. Uh, that's true. Blue lives matter. Uh, that's true too. But, but you, 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 we must accept that, that to advance all lives matter or blue lives matter in the face of a statement about black lives mattering is in itself deep racism, right? It's a discomfort, right, about blackness as whole, right? Because when folks say Black Lives Matter, there is no contention about the validity of other forms of lives. It is, it is an attempt to say our lives have constantly been under siege. And so we are asserting the matterness of our lives because we feel invisible and we are rendered as victims of state violence, right? It is, it is a deep cry to be heard and to be humanized. And so the only response is to say, yes, black lives indeed matter. And when we survey black cities in this country, Detroit, for example, a, a national disgrace, right? When you look at what is going on in predominantly black cities, you cannot Baltimore, you, you cannot but, but say yes. There is a reason why young people across this country are rising up and saying black lives matter. And Cone would say to us, for a congregation like this one, that you can only find God in 2015 America if you are deeply involved in this movement for black lives. Cone would say that is where God is. That is where Christianity is unraveling and that is where Christianity must become most relevant. And it must have an answer to that question to that statement, it must have a response. And I think Cohn is right. I don't agree with everything Cohn says. <laughs> you know, some of it is so problematic. Howard Sermon says, what is the good news 
the people who stand at a moment in history with their backs against the wall. That is gospel. What do you say to people who are suffering, who are being killed, for whom public policy has failed? That, that is the, what is the gospel to those people? And I want to suggest that the answer to that begins with how, as a community, we interact with folks who are saying Black Lives Matter. Trayvon, Mike Brown, Rakia, Sandra. All right, something happens when you watch. Isn't that, isn't that shit crazy? Uh, you, you, you watch these, these videos and you're like, what? What in the world? Like, how, how is this even possible? In 2015, we're going to watch police officers kill people. <laughs> it makes no real sense. But that's the thing about structural racism, right? It ought not to make sense. And we have an obligation to interrogate that. And we have an obligation to not be silent in the midst of that. And how do we do that? As Tim would say, what is the gospel here? The first thing is that it is not about you individually. You are a good white person, black person. You are fine. Anybody coming after you, right? It's like, well, I do good things. Yeah, that's fine. But we've got to talk about systems, right? And we've got to center the conversation on it. It's not about individuals. It is about a system, again, that renders certain lives more valuable than others. And as a black man, it is National Coming Out Day. As a gay man, as an immigrant, as a somewhat masculine, somewhat femme man, like I get all of those other things that need to, to be attached, right? I get that as a boy who dressed in women's clothes and so I'm sort of trans, right? I get how, yes, we need to complicate it, but, I, but I'm also clear that there is something about blackness in particular that we have to deal with. And that we've got to commit to being a community that is concerned with racial justice and justice as it relates to black folk. And yes, we always have the answer to that, but it starts with a commitment, not dancing around it, but saying, yo, we've got to be involved in this thing. Because when folks are being shot down like they are in the streets, we cannot be silent. So it's not about you individually. It's about systems. Silence is not okay. And here's the thing, when a lot of folks I talk to, good liberal folks, want to be allies, what they say is, you know, I, I want to go to the rally where the black folks are at and I want to stand in solidarity. But here is the real work. The tables that you sit at, the places that you work that are predominantly white, that's where you got to go 
if you're going to be a real ally, you have to be the voice that says this is not okay. And folk don't going to ostracize you because all of a sudden you're going to be weird. <laughs> but allyship in this moment is not whether or not you can show up to a predominantly folk of color event and, and be there, but it is whether or not we take these conversations back into our communities, into our families, into our workplace, because that is how we will transform America. And America is in need of racial transformation. And it seems impossible, right? What, what can, even as I was thinking, I was trying to figure out, what, is the, what do I say to these folks? But if you believe in the Jesus story, I don't, I mean, I believe it, but you believe it, right? Twelve people, so the story goes, had an experience. And together, 2,000 years later, the project they embarked on literally disrupted the course of history. And so while it seems impossible, we talk about transforming America, and you look around and you're like, there's like 20 of us here, why, why is he talking to us? Well, because the story, your central story says that 12 people with an experience transformed and disrupted the course of history. And I am suggesting to you that in your bodies, in this community, lay the power to transform America. There are days I wish I believed as you did. Because what I just said would be more believable. <laughs> if, if I believe that the cosmos was on my side, I don't, right? But you believe that. And therein lies the power of having faith. And if we acknowledge that to be black in America is to be a problem, it ought not to be a problem. America has a race problem and that people who are committed and appointed and perhaps anointed by a divine being can in fact change and disrupt the course of history, then that responsibility now lands on us in this room to say, how are we going to disrupt the foolishness that is America as it relates to race? How are we going to do that? It has to be done. And your story says that 2,000 years ago, 12 folk had an experience. And here we are. 2,000 years later, talking about them Negroes. And so that's my question to you. Since Black Lives Matter, since black folks are under siege, and since we have power that is beyond this world in this room, how will we use that power to change and transform America? so that she becomes what she has never been, a country where equity and equality as it relates to race is the order of the day. Think on these things. Thank you. Perhaps at your table. <laughs> I'm told there should be a question. So that is the question. And if we have time, we can talk about it at our tables. Right? But and, and I'm, 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 I'm particularly centering this, again, for as much as it is not the place that I come from, 
if we believe that, that, that God is real and that God is this power, this force, and that with God guiding us, we can do great things, I do want us to think about that. Maybe is it 10 minutes, Tim? How, how do we use that? How do we tap into that power as a group, as a congregation, with a commitment to change in America and perhaps changing ourselves in the process? Does that make sense as a thing to think about? Let's do that at our tables. Thank you.